Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, Amazing Promises to Dysfunctional People, with a message entitled, Sin, Consequences, and Surprising Grace. So let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis 27, verse 30 to 28, verse 9, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. When I was a boy, I had a dartboard in the basement of my parents' home, and I used to love practicing my aim. You know, one day I took my sister's favorite doll and I hung it on that dartboard and I used it for target practice. Well, needless to say, in no time it was filled with holes from head to foot. And to this day, and this is what strikes me as incredible, it never occurred to me that there would be consequences. It's only after the deed was done that I began to realize that there was no way of repairing the damage No way of repairing my sister's deep anguish at the destruction of her favorite doll. And we had no money for another one. And we had no way of repairing my parents' deep disappointment in me. Some time ago, while visiting my sister, she casually mentioned to me that she still had that doll, even though it was badly damaged. It reminded her of something that was very precious in her childhood. And oh, let me be clear. My sister is a very gracious woman. She, she holds no animosity about that. But I, for my part, appreciate her grace to me. But I wish I'd never done that. I think that doll will always represent to me sin and grace. Seemingly small and insignificant as this story is, it is, I think, a fitting illustration of the topic for today. I want to speak today about sin, consequences, and surprising grace. We've been studying Genesis 25 to 36. It's a series entitled, Amazing Promises to Dysfunctional People. And we've been talking about Jacob's deception. At the instigation of his mother, he enters his blind father's tent. He tells his father that he's Esau, and then, on the basis of his deception, receives the Abrahamic blessing. Jacob now will be Lord over his brothers, and in the future, whoever curses Jacob will be cursed, and whoever blesses him will be blessed. It's Jacob and not Esau who will be the conduit of God's blessing in the world. And all of that was won through deceit. That's the amazing twist in this storyline. God's blessing through Abraham to bring redemption to this world was at one time won through the trickery of Jacob. And Esau, having learned about it, that he was cheated, furious. And with this turn of events, we see a family, the family line of Abraham, lurch into dysfunction and hatred and plans of murder and open, unrestrained anger. So let's begin to read today's passage. And I'm starting with Genesis 27, verses 41 to 46. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? And as we look at this story, I'm struck with sadness at what happens now. The sins are done. Lying, deception, rebellion, unbelief, neglect, manipulation, all has been done. 
Now all four will live with the consequences, which will, from this day on, as we will see, it's going to mark their hopes and their dreams for the future. There's no road back. There's no off-ramp. The road goes forward. Esau, believing his father will soon die, makes plans. As soon as dad is gone, I'm going to murder my brother. And just like Esau, impulsive and loud, he's saying so. And his mother hears about it. I think it's fitting here to trace the difficult history that is going to develop between the descendants of Jacob, which is Israel, and the descendants of Esau, who are the Edomites. Even though initially the two groups have little contact with each other, the deep resentment of the Edomites must have fostered for generations. We get a sense of how deep that resentment is hundreds of years later when we come to Numbers 20. You know, that passage represents the nearing of the end of Israel's wilderness wanderings. They're leaving the Sinai Desert, and they're coming up from the Red Sea, and they're slowly moving up the eastern side of the Dead Sea. And as they come, they're encroaching on the land that God has given to the Edomites, and they want to pass through and go to the Promised Land. And Numbers 20, verses 14 to 15 says, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, You know all the hardship that we have met, how our fathers went to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us. And so Moses recounts the suffering Israel endured and the grace of God. And with that comes the request. Verse 17 says, Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we pass through. And so with the assurance that they seek only to pass through and not damage anything along the way, with the request that they bless Israel and they let them pass, the king of Edom, nursing strong resentment, responds. He says, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. And so, you know, rather than going to war, Israel turns into the desert. It's a long detour to avoid Edomite territory. And yet in the end of Deuteronomy, in chapter 23, verse 7, we read, You shall not abhor an Edomite. He is your brother. And yet this brotherly relationship didn't last long. War was inevitable. By the time of King David, we read in 2 Samuel, chapter 8, 13 to 14, it says, And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Through all Edom, he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. That state of affairs does fulfill God's words when the two ancestors of these two races were yet in the womb of their mother, that the older would serve the younger. But the resentment was deeply felt. By the time of Solomon, we read in 1 Kings 11, verse 14, and the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the royal house of Edom. You will remember that Isaac had told Esau that eventually the Edomites would throw off the yoke of Israel. And that prophecy was fulfilled. 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 20 to 22, it says, In the days of Joram, the son of King Jehoshaphat, Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Joram passed over to Zaire with all his chariots and rose by night, and his commanders struck the Edomites who had surrounded him. But his army fled home, so Edom revolted from the rule of Judah. And so Edom gained independence. But by this time, the hatred between those two nations was felt. 
Psalm 137 is a famous psalm that begins by the portrayal of Israel by the waters of Babylon as they sat down and wept. The Babylonians had destroyed their nation. Their temple had been burned down. Many Jews had been slaughtered, and the rest were taken into exile, into Babylon. And Psalm 137, verse 7 reads, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. Yeah. When Israel went into exile, the Edomites were there cheering the Babylonians on, encouraging them to be even more cruel than they already were. And furthermore, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Herod was king over Israel. He was an Edomian or an Edomite. And so it was an Edomite who slaughtered the Jewish boys in Bethlehem, for he did not want the Jewish Messiah, the hope of the Abrahamic covenant, to rule over him. That's the history. The picture that I'm painting here is a picture of something that began with deception. Jacob, unable to wait for God to fulfill his promises in his timing, deceived his father Isaac and brought anger and generational hatred between two people groups. Many of us underestimate the power of sin in our naivete. We think that each sin is an isolated event. But if this is what Jacob thought, it was not his father who was most deceived. It was Jacob himself who was deceived. Yeah, the covenant would flow through Jacob, for God had determined that it should be that way. But Jacob's sin was more than he could ever have known. And the effect of that sin was felt immediately. Rebekah, his mother, hears of Esau's plot to murder Jacob, his brother. And then she goes and speaks with her husband to get him to send Jacob away to her brother in Haran. She tells him that Jacob must not find a wife in Canaan, and she's right about that. But Jacob doesn't go to Haran and come right back. You remember that Abraham sent his servant and got Rebekah in the first place and came right back. No, no, this is not what's going to happen here. Instead, Jacob is gone for 20 years, and Rebekah will never see her son again. The effects of sin are now just beginning to take root. Hi, this is Ben Lowell, CEO of Back to the Bible Canada. You know, sharing the truth of the Bible has never been more important. And the efforts of Back to the Bible Canada, well, they earnestly strive to effectively meet that need every day. Through the Bible teaching of Dr. John Newfeld and the many other ministry programs and resources made available nationally and globally, this ministry exists for one purpose, sharing the uncompromising good news of Jesus Christ. You know, this is our fiscal year end, a time when we make a special financial appeal to all those who support and listen to the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Could I ask you to consider offering a special gift this month, perhaps a first-time gift, to support our fiscal year end goal of $342,000. Every dollar raised sustains and provides new opportunity to share the light of Christ in a dark world. Thanks in advance for your commitment to faithfully supporting Bible teaching and call us with your gift today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Some of you who are listening to my voice might be grieving right now. Perhaps it was your adultery that destroyed your marriage. Perhaps it was your greed that destroyed your business. Or perhaps even... It was your insistence that you get your own way. 
It brought great harm to your own church, and your church is still struggling to this day. Yeah? Christ has forgiven you, and yet you wonder why it is that the sadness of past actions just continues to hang on. What hope can there ever be? Now, before I answer that, let's continue to imagine this account. I want you to notice something about the kind of relationship Isaac has had with Rebekah. You remember when they first met? Isaac, as a young man, was out in the field and he was meditating. And in the distance, he sees the camels of his father Abraham approaching, and they bring on them the woman he will marry. Rebekah's on the camel, and she sees Isaac, and she asks the servant, who is that man? And the servant says, that's my master Isaac. And she dismounts and puts a veil over her face and covers herself. And I get a picture of them meeting in an open field. It's a beautiful, romantic love story. And all the Bible says is that she became his wife and he loved her. And she was his comfort when his mother died. You know, years later, when King Abimelech looks out of his window, he spots Isaac and Rebekah as husband and wife. And he's teasing her and they're laughing together and he's caressing her. They share life and love and intimacy and respect deep happiness. But now the day of sin has come. Here they are deceiving each other, and even when Rebekah finds out that Esau is planning to murder his brother, she can't confide in Isaac. Their relationship is now so strained. Perhaps she thinks, if I tell Isaac about the plan for murder, he's going to demand, well, whose fault is that? So what do I say? She simply convinces Isaac to send Jacob away for a wife to go to Haran. And that's not the whole truth. She hides stuff from him, and there are secrets between them. There's stuff they'll never talk about again. There'll be no more stories of their love, of carefree laughing and play and intimacy and joy. The world is filled with those kind of stories. A couple on their wedding day, she's dressed in a dress that sweeps his heart away, and he's standing so tall and so proud. The day seems surreal. It's filled with overwhelming love and promise. But now the day is forgotten amid fights and betrayal and lies and secrets and shattered dreams and a wrecked home and and anger. How did we get here? And the answer is always the same. This is the consequence of sin. This is the effect of sin. Sin brings death. Do you know that Satan wants to take everything you love and strip you bare of future and hope? was author and pastor Randy Elkhorn who made a personal list of the consequences of what would happen to him if he fell into adultery. So many other pastors have done, and here's his list. He said, if I commit adultery, Christ's reputation will be harmed by the watching world. And then he imagines the hurt that his wife will feel and the sense of betrayal that his daughters will feel. He imagines the harm to his church and even his own reputation that won't be resurrected. In the end, he imagines standing before the judgment seat of Christ and giving an account. And that's just sexual sin, so many others. Sin brings the loss of all that we love. If we could only see that all sin eventually brings that. But some brings it sooner. It's felt more devastatingly. What's most haunting is that you never get to turn back the clock. Right now, some of you have already stepped over the line, and you can testify to to what a cruel taskmaster Satan is. You've lost what you love. You can't get it back. But some of you are now in contemplating sin. And you should make a list to yourself of what that sin will bring. You know, for Isaac and Rebekah and their two sons, their sin robbed them of more than they could have imagined. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 6 says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. I hope you heard that. 
by not sweeping the sins of these people under the rug, by openly telling us about them, the way they happened. The God of the Bible wants you to look hard at, at what happened, and he wants you to learn. You know, just now, when, when you think of all that's left is sadness, well, think again. Life does move on, yeah? Promises of God, however, are not forsaken. So we read Genesis 28, 1-5. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. And he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. I see within these verses the truth that human sin cannot destroy the promises of God. Isaac, now acting again like a conduit of God's blessing, calls his son Jacob. He doesn't curse him. He blesses him. It was Wenham who said, by setting this new step forward in the history of salvation, in the context of such unprincipled behavior by every member of the family, each self-centeredly seeking his or her own interest, Moses is not simply pointing out the fallibility of God's chosen, whose virtues often turn into vices. Moses is reasserting the grace of God. It is his mercy that is the ultimate ground of salvation, and that's it. Listen, you can't sin so much as to cancel out the mercy of God. God's plan stands certain. I remember as a new Christian struggling with whether or not, you know, me, with all my sins and my tendency to sin, I'd ever make it in the Christian life. But very early on in my Christian life, I read Romans 8.31. It said, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then, Later on in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Or think of Jesus' words in John 10, 27 to 28. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Well, those promises tell us that he who called us into his grace is able to keep us, he's able to restore us, and to bring us back to repentance and faith, and that his grace is greater than sins. You listen, child of God. If you've sinned and are bearing under the cruel consequences of your own misdeeds, you need to cling to the truth that your acceptance before the Father is not dependent on your good behavior but on the promises that he made to you in the cross of our Lord. And so Isaac now, playing the role of a prophet, blesses Jacob. Go to the house of Bethuel and find a wife and fulfill the promises to you. God Almighty, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac will bless you. You'll become a company of peoples like Abraham, the father of nations. In essence, although he doesn't know it, Isaac is promising Jacob that notwithstanding his sins, the Messiah is going to come from him and many nations in the world will attach themselves to the blessing of the Messiah. Isaac is predicting the global gospel that will come through Jacob. In the end, the story of Genesis, although so filled with human sin, is a story more filled with an unstoppably gracious God who keeps his promises to those whom he has chosen. And so if you're wallowing in sin, take heart. 
don't you despair. Get up and put your hope in God. Start clinging to the promises in the cross, for God has promised, never will I leave or forsake you. Believe that in Jesus, your best days are not behind you. They are definitely ahead of you. Now, I wish I could end here, but I can't. You know, Genesis 28, 6 to 9 then says, Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaoth. Ah, worldly response. Now keep that passage in mind, and let me take you to Psalm 83, verses 4 to 6. It's a psalm which talks about those who are plotting to destroy Israel and the hope of the Messiah. The psalm says, They say, Come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord against you. They make a covenant, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites. <laughs> and what Esau did next was not seek God's grace. He was doing things that would further embitter him to Jacob so that the sin would grow deeper. Sin can lead to grace if you trust in the Lord, but sin can lead to greater sin if you refuse to repent. Say to God today, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me to find the grace of Jesus. John, help me understand. Why is it that sin and the consequences of sin, it just builds such a barrier to actually doing something about it, which is repentance? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think here's the difficulty. Repentance says the ways of God are right and my ways are wrong. I mean, that is a bitter pill of humility to swallow. Um, it's difficult for us. I mean, that's why only the Holy Spirit can eventually bring us to that place. And so, I, you know, that's where I think this passage leads us. It helps us to understand what is required of all of us when we seek the kindness of God. Failure to go in this direction means that we'll only continually see more bitterness and more bitterness. We'll shake our fist at God and we'll say, why? And we'll say, you haven't treated me right. I mean, all that stuff just keeps on going. Um, so God demands that we embrace humility and his plan. That's, that's why it's so difficult. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Amazing Promises to Dysfunctional People, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. From February 7th to 16th, 2020, make plans to join us for our Back to the Bible Canada Laugh Again Southern Caribbean Cruise. You'll be sailing the seas for nine days aboard Royal Caribbean's Explorer of the Seas, visiting Aruba, Curacao, Bonaire, and more. You'll be joining Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, and special friends and musicians, The Weebs. You'll be spiritually enriched and challenged, laugh and be encouraged, and enjoy great fellowship and refreshment. Come on your own or with your family and friends as you enjoy incredible ports of call, everything the ship has to offer, and a week of ministry designed specifically for the occasion. 
Check it out and get on board at backtothebible.ca or call 1-800-663-2425.